Which church, this completely debunks any false teaching on healing. You know, there are people who say that it is always God's will to heal. If you have what? Enough faith. That is a horrible, unbiblical teaching that has ruined countless people's lives. Because there's nowhere in Scripture does it say that it is always God's will to heal. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God will give, will never give you more than you can handle either. In fact, God will always give you more than you can handle. Why? Because He's driving us to dependence. He wants us to depend on Him, but that's, that's not part of this message, but that's a whole, that is so true. But there are other people that say it's not God's will for believers to get sick. All you need to do, listen, all you need to do is just claim it and then you'll be healed. No! In fact, the leper goes to Jesus and says, if you will, and notice Jesus doesn't rebuke him for a lack of faith. Jesus doesn't say, well, I would have if you had just claimed it. No, Jesus, in fact, what Jesus does is the second thing I want you to see in this story is that Jesus reaches out and touches him in this remarkable touch of Jesus. It says this, that Jesus was filled with compassion or moved with pity. Or some of your translations may even say Jesus was indignant. Here's what I want you to hear. He's not mad at the leper. He's mad at the condition that sin had caused in the leper's life. He's mad at this fallen world that from the beginning of time, from the moment Adam and Eve were, were left alone, they, fors- they had forsaken God. They had turned from God. Sin had entered this world. And so when Jesus, when Scripture says that He had pity or that He was indignant, it was not at the man and his sin, but it was at the result of sin in our lives. He says He was moved he was moved with compassion, moved with pity. And really what this, is, what this is describing is this gut reaction. Have you ever had that gut reaction to pain in someone's life? And you, and you're, you can just feel the, like your whole body aches for someone else. That's the picture we're getting here of Jesus. His, his entire body is aching for this man with leprosy. His entire body is, is, is revolting against the sin in our fallen world. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't turn away from the man, which has been the case his entire life. People have turned away from him from the moment he was diagnosed with leprosy. But Jesus doesn't turn away from him, but in compassion, what does he do? He turns to him. He turns to him, and then he reaches out his hand and touches him. Think about this. This man has probably not been touched for years. If he was married, no hug or embrace from his wife. If he had kids, no hug from his children. If he had friends, no high five, no fist pump, no nothing. And Jesus reaches out and touches this man. And for the first time in a long time, he felt human touch. See, one of the greatest dangers in, during this corona series, uh, season has been the fact that people have not had human interaction. 
That's why depression is up. That's why suicide is up. That's why all these other ills have come into our world because people have not been touched by another person. They've not been in contact with other people. And you think about this leper. His entire life was spent without human touch. And Jesus, what he says here is he reaches out and he touches him. And now I want you to, you got to understand the picture. Because I often think about it like this. Like Jesus reaches out and touches him. Like that's kind of what I would like. If you're sick, I'm just going to kind of reach out and just touch you. In fact, there was many, many years ago, we were, uh, I was on a mission trip. And I had taken a bunch of college students down to Haiti. And we had gone into this, this orphanage. And it was an orphanage for, for um, children that had been abandoned through HIV, AIDS, and, and, and just left on the streets. And it was one of the most dilapidated uh, places I'd ever been to in my entire life. And these children in this orphanage had no government funding. It was just this pastor and this church, and they just gathered kids in the street and trying to do the best they can. Every single one of these kids had worms. Every single one of these kids had disease. And every single one of these kids were, were in terrible, terrible shape in their, with, uh, in their health. I mean, their restroom was a, a concrete floor um, and open walls. That, that was where they had to go to the bathroom every day. I mean, this was just a terrible place. Well, one of the college students had this idea, like, let's wash their feet. These children have not had baths. They haven't had anything like that in, in who knows how long, possibly years. And so one of these college students had, had this idea, that let's wash their feet. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, we don't know what diseases are on their feet, but these college students, they said, no, we're doing it. They get buckets. They start running. What I want to do is I just want to touch them like that. I just, okay, be clean. Now, after a few moments, what's happening? And we're picking up kids. They're, uh, you know, they're, we're carrying them two by two, you know, putting them on our backs, doing whatever we can to get them to fresh water, to get them where they're, 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 they can be clean. The picture and the word that it uses for Jesus touching this man was not just reaching out and touching him. It is an embrace. It is as if Jesus just goes and wraps his arms around him, grabs hold of him, and holds him with, for dear life. That's the picture that we get in this story of Jesus touching this man. Why? Because touch communicates, doesn't it? You ever been around someone that's going through something difficult? What do you, what's your natural tendency as a human being to do? To touch them. To put your arm around them. To embrace them. To put your hand on their shoulder. To, to not just barely touch them, but to truly embrace them. To reach out, to grab hold of them, to comfort them. That is the picture we get of Jesus when he touches this man. Because why? Because touch, Jesus' touch speaks far louder than his words. But here's another interesting thing about Jesus' touch. The moment Jesus touched the leper, he was now ceremonially unclean. According to Jewish law, Jesus had now made himself unclean because he reached out and he touched the leper. Let's talk about the third thing, third interesting thing. Is that notice, notice that Jesus once he touches him, he, this man is suddenly and immediately healed. Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. In an instant, the leprosy was gone. You know the disciples are sitting there going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. 
And, and this leprosy is completely and totally gone. See, one of the things that you need to understand about leprosy is that there was not a, le- not a treatment. Get this, not a treatment for leprosy until 1921. In 1921, they discovered a treatment for leprosy. And a cure wasn't found until 1981. Think about that. But here's the, here's the, the interesting thing about the cure for leprosy in modern day. The cure stops the progression of leprosy, leprosy but it doesn't reverse the effects of leprosy. So if you were a leper today and you had the disease, it would stop the progression. But if you don't find it in time, the damage is already done. But but when Jesus heals the man, what happens? He is completely and totally healed. Like 100%. Not just the, the progression of the leprosy, but the entire effects of the leprosy. Any damage done to his skin is completely reversed. Jesus, in that moment, through his touch, immediately removes the man's curse, took away his shame, and removed all the defilement in his body. Think about that. That's the power of Jesus' touch. Jesus, and then, he, then, he, then Jesus does something pretty amazing. He, he actually gives him this warning. And this, it really is kind of this forceful command that Jesus gives him after he's healed. And he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone. But what I want you to do, I want you to go to the priest, present yourself to the priest, and listen to what it says in verse 44. And he said to him, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a proof to them. As a proof to who? The religious leaders. Now, it's not surprising that Jesus would tell him to go to the priest. In fact, that's what the law of Moses required, that you would go to the priest, you'd, make a, you'd present yourself to the priest, the priest would see that the leprosy was gone, and he would declare you clean, and then you were able to then enter into worship and, and be a part of the normal community again. So it's not surprising that Jesus would have him fulfill the Mosaic law. Because what did Jesus say later in his life? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So the fact that Jesus would tell this leper to go and fulfill the Mosaic law shouldn't surprise us. But what is interesting is why on earth would Jesus command him to go and keep his mouth shut? Like that's what was interesting to me this week. Why would he tell that? I think there's two reasons. I think the first one is Old Testament prophecy. You see, Isaiah prophesied that when the Messiah would come, that he would heal leprosy. Remember, there was no cure in the ancient world for leprosy. So one of the surefire signs of the Messiah was the fact that the Messiah would have the power to heal leprosy. And so what Jesus said, and even tells us what he, why he sent him away. He said, I want you to go to the priest... Show him that you've been clean, you've been cured of leprosy as what? As a proof to them. A proof of what? A proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, everything that Mark writes is pointing back to Mark 1.1. 1, 1. 
This is the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus tells him to do this. Why? Because he's confronting the religious leaders with the fact that the Messiah has come. That the Messiah is here. And if you aren't careful, you're going to miss the Messiah. But I think there's a second reason that Jesus tells him. Because Jesus knew this man's heart. Jesus knew this man came to him just for what he could get, out, get from him. Not because he wanted to be with him. See, I think this was a test of lordship in this man's life. This was a test of obedience. Is he going to obey or not? Is he going to follow or not? And the reality is what we're going to find out in just a moment is that this man came for what he could get from Jesus. Not just so that he could have Jesus. See, Jesus is not searching for people who want something from him. He's searching for people who are seeking after him. Jesus does not want people to come to him to get what they want. He wants people to come to him to get him. See, the reason you and I come to Jesus is not for what we can get from him. It's so that we can have him. He said, this is eternal life that you may know me. That you may know, have this knowledge, have this intimacy, have, have this relationship with me. But I want you to notice the fourth thing. is That's the leper's disobedience. Verse 45, but he went away and began to talk freely about it. Like you would think, that if you'd spent your entire life as a leper, isolated from everyone, and the man that heals you actually comes to you and says, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to first and foremost go to the priest, present yourself to the priest, as the Levitical law says, and, and that's the first thing. I, you would think that you'd want to obey that guy, right? Yet this man has complete and total disregard for what Jesus asked him to do. Nowhere in this text does it say that he ever went to the priest. He never goes to the priest. In fact, he goes and he does the exact opposite of what Jesus told him to do. Now, I understand his enthusiasm. Listen, if I were healed of leprosy, I'd be excited too, wouldn't you? Like, I'd be, I'd want to be, I'd be wanting to tell everyone, and I don't think it's that Jesus never wanted him to tell anyone. I think it's that Jesus wanted first and foremost for him to tell the priest and I have no doubt that this man is praising Jesus. In fact, we'll see in verse 45 that he clearly was giving all the credit to Jesus, yet he still disobeyed him. He still didn't do what he said. And again, I don't think Jesus wanted him never to tell. I think he wanted him to go to the priest first. And the best we can tell, he never did that one thing. And that's easy for us to point the finger at that guy, right? And say, man, you're an idiot. What is wrong with you? Jesus healed you and told you to do one thing and you didn't do it. But yet it is amazing to me how easily we can set aside Scripture and justify our own disobedience and sin. Like, what do we do? We justify it, right? We say, well, I know that God tells me not to be selfish but to live selfless lives. But yet, God wants me to be happy, right? 
So I'm going to justify it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to justify the fact that I'm going to live selfish right now because God wants me to be happy. Or, or maybe your, your issue is anger, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to blame others and my circumstances for my anger. My unrighteous anger. Or what do we do? We, 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 we know we're not supposed to gossip, so what do we do? We hide it under this umbrella of a prayer request. Hey, listen, you ought to really join me in praying for so-and-so. What are you doing? You're just gossiping. You're doing the exact same thing this leper did. You were setting aside Scripture and justifying your own disobedience to what God says. We know God says that, that sex before marriage is wrong. We know that he says sexual immorality is wrong. But what do we do? We justify it. And we say, but we're in love. We're doing the exact same thing the leper is doing. Anytime we begin to defend, hide, blame, or minimize our sin, we're doing the exact same thing the leper's doing. We know from God's word what he's told us to do and how he wants us to obey. And yet we completely and totally disregard it. But there's a fifth thing I want you to see. Notice in verse 45 that Jesus and the leper trade places. Look what happens. But he went out and he began to talk freely to them, to anyone about it. And the news spread so that Jesus, listen to this, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he was out in desolate places, and the people were coming to him from every quarter. See, Jesus and this leper changed places. This leper who was once ostracized, who was once cut off from God and other people, is now partying it up with friends and family. Like he's running around celebrating this healing. I mean, he's doing everything he can. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is now the one that is outside. Jesus is now the one that is in desolate places. Jesus is now the one that is not allowed to do what he came to do, and that which is to preach the good news of the gospel. Jesus and this leper have now traded places. Jesus can't openly preach. In fact, anytime he would go into a town, what would happen? People would flock. They would come to him for healing. They would come to him to, and would prevent him from doing what he came to do, which is to preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. And so these two change play, trade places. So what, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what does it have to do with all of us? Like, what does this story have to do with you and I? What is this, how does this actually fit into our lives? Well, here's the thing. One of, one of, out, of out of all the pictures that God could use out of everything that He could show us to describe our human condition, to describe our problem, leprosy is the perfect picture. It is the greatest illustration that Jesus could use to show us our human condition. See, leprosy is called Hansen's disease in modern day. We call it Hansen's disease, and it is a chronic illness that devastates the body. And oftentimes when you think of leprosy, at least I used to, I used to think of leprosy as, as this rotting of the skin. Anybody ever thought about it that way? Like leprosy is when your skin begins to rot and to decay. But that's not the case. In fact, leprosy is actually a slow-growing bacteria that attacks the nerves and serves as, as an anesthetic. 
And here's what it does. Leprosy numbs your extremities. It numbs your arms, your hands, your legs, your feet, even your nose. And then what leprosy does, it begins to to kill off your body's warning system for pain. And the warning system that our bodies naturally have for pain is completely destroyed. And leprosy causes us to have the inability to feel, touch, or pain. So what happens to a leper is not that their skin begins to rot. It's that what happens is that that the devastation and the disfigurement that happens to a leper is because they can no longer feel pain. So what do they do? They touch something that has been in a fire without knowing it, and it burns their hand to the bone, but they can't feel it, which causes disfigurement. Or they, they, they wash their hands or their face with scalding hot water, and they can't feel it, and it burns their face, and it burns their skin. Or they, they fall uh, and have a massive injury through the fall, but they can't feel the pain, and they're left with an unknown limp of, a limp of why, they, why they got it. They have no idea because they couldn't feel the pain of the fall, or they get cut, or, or any numerous things like that that would normally cause a normal person immense pain, and they would avoid it. A leper doesn't feel it. And they're left with open wounds and open scabs and, and incredible disfigurement because they can never sense the pain of what they're doing. See, the nature of leprosy, with its slow progress, with its destructive power, with the ultimate ruin that it brings to a person's life, is one of the greatest pictures of our own depravity that any of us could ever imagine. See, the spiritual reality is that you and I are all spiritual lepers. Every single one of us. And that's the image that Jesus intends to show us through this story. Think about it this way. If leprosy destroys our ability to feel pain, sin destroys our ability to know God. Sin destroys our ability to relate to God, our ability to know God. Sin distorts our ability to do what is right and convinces us to do what is wrong. Sin, in fact, numbs us. Get this, sin numbs us to the ways of God. And the more you and I allow sin to dwell in our hearts, it will continually numb us from the ways of God. You can be walking with God closer, but if you allow sin to continue to creep in and creep in and creep in, guess what? Every time you sin, you're becoming more numb to the ways of God. More numb to the truth of God. More numb to the goodness of God. And that's what happens to us. Just like leprosy does in the human body, sin does the exact same thing to us spiritually. Ephesians 2.1, Paul said this, he said, You were dead 
in your trespasses and sin. Just as a leper is, is considered a walking dead person, you and I, from the moment we were born, our sinful nature, we were born into sin. We were dead, spiritually dead, in our trespasses and sin. And when the Bible talks about sin, it's not just referring to the bad things we do. It's not just referring to things like gossip and lust or lying or whatever you want to fill in the blank. No, it's talking about ignoring God in the world that He has made. It's talking about rebelling against Him by living without Him. Sin is simply saying, I'm going to decide exactly how I'm going to live my life regardless of what God says. I don't care what he says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He says, when you read the test for leprosy in Leviticus 13, you can see how the disease is a picture of sin. Like sin, leprosy is deeper than the skin. Like sin, it spreads, it defiles, it isolates, and it renders things unfit. Now here's what many of us get deceived upon when it comes to sin. Because sin is telling each and every one of us two opposite lies. Tells our culture this. One is that you're not a sinner. Nothing wrong with you. Everything's good. That's why our culture is so opposed to that three-letter word sin. Like you can call me whatever you want to, but I'm not a sinner. That's a lie. That's a lie that sin teaches us and tells us that one, you're not a sinner. Everything's okay with you. You're just human. The second lie is this, is that you're such a bad sinner, there's no hope for you. Those are the two lies that our world, that, that, that sin is teaching us. That one, you're such a sinner that there's no hope. Or, or two, that you're not a sinner at all and you're just fine. And neither is true. We are all sinners, but God has made a way for our redemption. And that way is the touch of Jesus. The way that you and I are redeemed, the way that you and I are, are saved is through the, this picture of the touch of Jesus. His touch is the cure for our sin. Jesus in His incarnation came down from heaven. Being 100% God, took on the form of a man so that He could live a sinless life. So that He could die on the cross for our sins, take the punishment for our sins, that He could be the, the innocent sacrifice that would take on God's wrath for sin. See, God doesn't judge you and I based on what we do or don't do. God judges us based on what Jesus has done for us. The standard is Jesus and what He's done for us, and that is how God measures us. Whether or not we, follow, we are followers of Him. Isn't that a picture of the Gospel? This, this trading places that Jesus and the, and the leper did? Think about it. Jesus, through the cross, came to be our substitute. He took upon Himself all of our sin, all of our sorrow, all of our shame, and in exchange for that, He returns to us His forgiveness, His holiness, His righteousness. You and I, through the cross, exchange places with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become 
the righteousness of God. God made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God. And listen, church, the touch of Jesus is the cure for the leprosy of your soul. The touch of Jesus is the cure for your sin. And Jesus is not afraid of the ugliness of your life. Jesus is not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of the secrets that you keep or the struggles that you have. Jesus is not afraid of any of that. He's not turned off by you one bit. In fact, He turns to you and reaches out and wants to touch you. But here's the problem. Religion has taught many of us the exact opposite, hasn't it? What religion teaches us is, listen, you need to clean up your life. You need to get your act together, and then you can come to God. Why? Because He's God, for goodness sakes. You can't come to Him with your mess, with your dirt, with your junk. You can't come to God in that way. You need to get your act together. Religion says that God doesn't want to mess with your mess. But Jesus came for your mess. And here's, here's one of my greatest concerns. And this is, where, this is where I believe that this will actually begin to transform our view of Christianity. It will begin to give us a clearer picture of what biblical Christianity looks like. And it is this. Much of Christianity today. In fact, the brand that I actually grew up in and the church that I grew up in was, was more like moralistic legalism. And here's what I mean. I grew up in this, and in, in, in many of you probably did too, in a church that, that they told us all the time what we were supposed to do. Like you're supposed to love Jesus more. You're supposed to forsake this, the, your, your, the world more. You're supposed to live faithfully. You're supposed to avoid sin. So they would tell us, listen, here's what you're supposed to do, but they would never tell us how to do it. They would say, listen, here, go and do this. And so what it would create is this moralism in us that I just need to go and do better. I just need to go and be better. In other words, what I was taught and what maybe some of you were taught is that, is that you suck, try harder. Anybody taught that? Like that was the type of Christianity I was taught. Like you are a dreadful sinner. You're a terrible person. Now go try to do better. But here's the reality. You can't do better. The power to follow Jesus doesn't come from ourselves. The power to follow Jesus comes from His grace. He actually gives us the ability to follow Him. And so what happens so often is that that type of Christianity, that, that you suck, do better type of Christianity, like if you'll just get your act together, if you will just follow Jesus more, love Jesus more, avoid sin more, what it produces in us if we don't understand that the power to do those things actually comes from Jesus, what it ends up producing in us is either Pharisees or dropouts. We either become judgmental or we quit trying. And when I say dropout, I don't mean people just completely leave the church, although many have. I think there are people that many, some, maybe even some of you in this room and watching online that have just stopped trying to live the Christian life. Like it's just, I've tried in my own power over and over and over again and I can't do it, so I'm just going to quit. I'm going to keep coming to church. It makes me feel better. But I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to continue to try hard because I continue to fall on my face. I keep trying harder and falling on my face. And so they, you, either, you either turn into a Pharisee where it's all about the law or you just drop out because there's no way to do it. What's the solution? See, I think the solution comes from two uh, theological words, justification and sanctification. See, oftentimes justification is when we are made right with God. When we, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior and we begin to follow Him, we are justified. We are made right with God. We are made peace with God. God forgives our sins. And oftentimes what happens is at that moment, the moment we cross that line of faith, we forget about justification. And we move on to sanctification. Sanctification is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. It's the process of us becoming more holy, being more like Jesus. And so what happens is this. We forsake justification, or not forsake, we forget justification and focus simply on sanctification. But here's the problem with that. By doing that, we get into that mode of just trying harder, just doing more. And what, what we need to remind ourselves is that in order for us to be holy, to be like Jesus, we have to be reminded of who we are in Jesus, our justification. See, the, the solution to this problem is to put our justification before our sanctification every single day. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves Every single day. We need, to we need to first and foremost remind ourselves that we are justified before God. That we are forgiven before God. That we have been adopted into God's family. That we have union with Christ and our participation in the kingdom of God. We need to remind ourselves of all those things. And then we will have the power and the motivation to obey. To be sanctified. See, listen, you and I are justified by grace. And we are sanctified by grace. It's not like we're justified by grace, we're saved by grace, and then we have to be justified and made holy by our own works. That's not the way it works. We are justified and we are sanctified by grace. So listen, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you have done or ever will do to make God love you less. So what do we do? We come to Him. We acknowledge that we are sinners in need of His grace. In need of His grace for salvation and in need of His grace for sanctification. And we trust Him. We trust Him to do the cleansing and the transformation that only He can do. Let's pray. Father, we, or we thank You for this Word that You've given us. This picture of our, of our lives, of our nature. And Father, I know that there may be people here in this room today or watching online that have never truly admitted that they are a spiritual leper, that, that they are numb to your ways, numb to a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that today, that they would realize that Jesus, you are reaching out to touch them. 
that you are reaching out to take away their sin, to bring about forgiveness, to bring about hope, to bring about salvation. And if that's you this morning, you can simply, you can simply place your trust in His finished work on the cross for your salvation. But I also know that there are many of us who are Christians. We would many, maybe perhaps follow, have been following Jesus for a long, long time. And today, perhaps, you have a fresh perspective on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because you knew that you were saved by grace, but you didn't know that you were sanctified by grace. And maybe today will be the day that you realize that the way you're transformed is not by trying to do more and to do better, but by surrendering to Him and to His transformation and realizing that it only happens by grace. And Father, I pray that you would give us the grace. Not only the grace to be saved, but the grace to be sanctified. The grace we need to become more and more like you. God, help us to stop trying to do it on our own. Help us to stop trying to be better and do better. And help us to realize that we need your grace in order to become more like you. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And Jesus, help us to come to you and to rest in you. And I pray that you would bring the cleansing and the cleaning and the transformation that only you can bring. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we respond?